no, 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 not this fucking time, no fucking way, no fucking way, no fucking way, no fucking way, you made me look a right cunt. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Holmes Movies Podcast. My name is Anders Holmes, and I'm joined across the table, not over Zoom, with my brother Adam. Yes, here I am, still here. Still in Denmark. Having a wonderful time. Yes. So today we are going to be talking about our top table. Top favorite, top ten, top top favorite, top ten toesy woesies. No, top ten two thousands. Yes, top ten, the top thousand two thousand and ten. No, yeah, the top thousand, the top ten films of the two thousands. Yeah, the top ten films of the two are top ten favorite films of the two thousands. So last week we did, or last time it was technically last week, but you know we don't. You know, people might listen to this at different times. The last episode was about the 2010s, and I've got to say, I found that list a lot easier to make than this one. Um, I don't know how you found it, but um, uh, I thought the noughties was going to be a breeze. But um, I've had to really, I've had to leave some of my very favourite films off this list. It turns out there's actually quite a lot of good films that came out in the noughts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, interesting as well. It's a decade we remember. Um, I remember the big. Everyone was very excited about Kill Bill when it came out. Everyone's obviously very excited about Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings really dominated the, the decade yeah, in a lot of ways. It did. Uh, certainly the early part of it. There was a sort of brief flurry of the the kind of what would become the kind of Marvel industrial complex and DC industrial complex in the 2010s. Yeah. Um, so you had your Spider-Mans. And I think by the end of the decade, they started to make the Iron Man movies and stuff. Um, that was in uh, 2008. That yeah. was like the start of what would become the MCU. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so, um, so yeah, there's, there's good and bad things. Um, and, um, but yeah, lots of, lots of, I remember going to the cinema a bunch, uh, especially around like 2006-ish. I used to go to the cinema quite a lot around then. So, you know, um, back, plenty before, to- back before streaming where cinemas were actually quite packed. Well, yeah, you, have to, you know, you sometimes couldn't get a ticket. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, back in the old days. Um, back in my days. Um, but yeah, I think um, I think this project is very interesting. The way it, like, what you know, what is the best film? What's I mean, I had to choose some films that I thought were better than films that I really love. But also on some, I made some calls where I was like, no, I love this one. It's going on the list. So it's my top ten is a bit. Um, well, it's just been very tortured, you know. <laughs> But I can, you know, there are certain films that are not on there that I, you know, I'm sure audience members will be surprised by. And also I'm kind of surprised aren't on there. But I've tried to make a top 10 that is representative and that um, that is also interesting. How about you? Did you find it easy? Uh, I found it a little bit easy because I felt like, um, I don't know, this was, I mean, in the sort of later part of the 2000s, I think I got a little bit more into films, like watching a lot more sort of obscure indie films i think like independent cinema was still kind of prevalent this time i mean you know in the way that it was still you know getting into cinemas and i feel like filmmakers like gus van sant and you know wes anderson was pretty i was you know i was into wes anderson at this time yeah yeah wes anderson makes some good films but you know i kind of i branched i branched a little bit from like guy Ritchie and tarantino and people like that and sort of in some other filmmakers that were you know popular at the time and also just like you know people who I found interesting. I just, I remember like, I remember when film four was pretty good before they kind of, I don't know, the channel sold out a little bit. They usually had like, cause I remember when we were living in London, they would always have these kind of monthly themes. 
and they were yeah, it was sh- like it was like an art house cinema on your TV. Yeah, yeah. and I think it was curated. Yeah, yeah, and I think that was something really interesting because I got in because I got interested in Jim Jarmusch at that time because mm. of film four and also just the other stuff like you know I watched Reservoir Dogs on the TV when they showed it on that time uh, uh, I can't remember what it was for I think it was some crime thing or something like that some crime month crime films and things like that right and uh, you know that the, the interest of those films kind of came from from there but you know of course I was into the other you know more mainstream films I was in you know Pixar were kind of you know they were sort of they had animation, banger, bangers anima- after this bangers was a and big, stuff this was a big decade for animation there are two animated films on my list um, and um, yeah it's a big big decade for that the Pixar I only picked one Pixar film and it was a devast- it was like a really a really difficult choice and I may still change my mind in the course of actually reading out my top 10 uh, <laughs> should we get into it though because you need to, ca- you need to yeah, catch a train yeah, we can't yeah, just sit yeah, here yeah, forever yeah, yeah. and the listeners have got things to do and people to see and um, so I got uh, things to do what are you should we, I went first last time so why don't you go first this time no I went first last time you did yeah oh then I'll go first you this go time. first last time alright my you, you go first this time sorry uh, my 10th best film of the 2000s is The Triplets of Belleville um, the short animated um, feature which um, comes from the director oh gosh hang on a minute um, I want to say Sylvain Chumet Sylvain Chumet Sylvain yeah. Chumet yeah um, 80 minutes long but a wonderful 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 movie um, I think you did talk about this on the Paris episode or ye- French films yeah, or something like yeah something like that it's definitely come up before it's a real um, it's a real corker um, it's um, it's extremely fun it's also incredibly melancholy um, and um, and doesn't feel or look like any other um, cartoon you've ever watched Um there are some images in there that will that really stay with you and um but it's also it has just enough silliness in it mm-hmm. to be um you could just about say it's a kids movie but it's not really it's a, it's a but it's a really tight really well done extremely sweet very poignant um but also absurd and surreal um animated movie and i don't i don't i don't really want to talk about it too much but um like in terms of the plot, because I feel like in describing, like you've kind of got to watch it and be surprised by where it goes. Um, but is, there, there, is it a film that has entirely no dialogue? Yeah, there's a little bit. There's a few, like, you hear a little bit of a few words at the beginning, but yeah, there is, there's no other real dialogue in the film. There's a few little sort of mutterings and sort of... Um, I like animation like, films like that. I saw... Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I mean it, it's a, you know, it translates very well. I mean, so yeah. you don't have to, you know, have to worry about subtitles. So you have the, you know, you have the... <gasps> <gasps> All that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, but not, not, not like better, better than that. That was very strange. Um, what were you going to say before you start making noises? No, there was a. I saw a, there was a film that I saw at the Prince Charles Cinema in London called uh, The Red Turtle, which is a Studio Ghibli film. Entirely no dialogue, just sound effects, and it's a wonderful film as well. Mm. About a guy who uh, gets stuck on a deserted island and he tries to leave, and this giant red turtle prevents him from doing so. Is it a film from the two thousands? <laughs> then you cannot talk about it. It's from the 20- uh, it was, we it cannot go down these from the twenty uh, tens. Right, so we understand. Uh, uh, but it's, yeah, it's a similar similar idea. Animation, no dialogue. Um, yeah, set, it's, it's a transatlantic narrative. It's set both in France and in New York, and um, um, and it's a very it's a, it's it leaves you feeling warm and toasty. I can tell you that yes. much. Um, warm so yeah, and toasty. That- it's good December film. Oh, definitely. I think it'd be a great winter film. Anyway, yeah. uh, that's my number ten. What's yours? So uh, my number ten is Mission Impossible. No, (laughs) (laughs) 
Mission Impossible Three would not be in my uh, top ten. Or Bottom ten. It would be. It would, it would, <laughs> it would, it what is it? What is it? What is it? Uh, it is Ryan Johnson's directorial debut, Brick. Ooh, from two thousand and five. Choice. Uh, uh, when I saw it, I think Empire called it this year or the new Donnie Darko, which was like, you know, big, like, independent wow, yeah, Sundance. That's, that's, that is the naughty's compliment right there. Yeah, because, like, Donnie Darko was, like, the sort of, you know... Donnie Darko was the new, what? was, like, like the hipster cult film of the early 2000s yeah, or something. Yeah, everyone was going on about Donnie Darko. It was like, have you seen Donnie... All these films, like, Synecdoche, New York, I Heart Huckabees, Donnie Darko, like, films that people talked about, like, people tried to sound really clever about talking about for, like, three minutes, and um, I never watched any of them. Speaking of, I didn't watch Brick either, but apparently it's really good. No, but just have you ever seen like the behind the scenes footage of I Heart Huckabees where David O. Russell just loses his shit on Lily Tomlin? No, but I would, I, I, I say to any man who would, as you put it, lose his shit against Lily Tomlin, uh, that they should not he, do he that caught, because he, he, Lily Tomlin is a not just a national but an international treasure. Yeah, but he he he, he called her a c word. Oh my god! Yeah, well, he deserves to be. And he still, up, and, he and, deserves and, to be strung up by his little toes. And he still gets allowed to make movies. Well, that's all. I mean, I think you can call someone a cunt and still be allowed to make movies, but still, um, what a twat! Yeah. Uh, but anyway, back to so, our friend yeah. Ryan Johnson. I feel like Ryan Johnson is our friend. I feel like he would be our friend. Yeah. Ryan, if you're listening, give us a call. Yes. Um, Ryan and Johnson, I, and we're fans of your partner's podcast as well. No, that's true. We are, but uh, don't listen to that if uh, you have. If you're choosing between film podcasts, uh, stick with us. Yes. Um, but um, um, yeah, so Brick, ha- it stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Joseph Gordon-Levitt has pretty much starred in every one of, of Ryan Johnson's movies, big role or small role. He's briefly in Last in The Last Jedi. He's the alien on the, what's the planet called in Last Jedi? Bento, Caro Bento or... It sounds like something you'd order in a Korean restaurant. No, uh, no it's um, like he's that. It's, 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 it's the planet that... Uh, that uh, Finn and Rose Tico go to to find... Uh, oh, the Casino Planet. Yeah, the Casino Planet. Kato, oh. Kato Binto or whatever it's called. Well, I don't know. Something like that. I like that planet. Yeah, yeah. With and the horse things. The, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the things that they free. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt voices like this Texans. You haven't talked about Brick. You've been talking yeah. about this for five minutes. You haven't talked okay. about Brick. The Brick is basically... You are a Brick. <laughs> brick is basically what you get if you take a film noir detective story a la Phil, Philip Marlowe, you know, Raymond Chandler, Dashiell Hammett and put it in an American high school in Southern California. Sounds desperately annoying. And pretty much everyone in the film talks like, you know, they ha- it has that kind of film noir dialogue and the film is very like complex. <laughs> the high school film's like, ah, what do you hear? What do you say? It's not like that, but they, but there's like, there's, you know, there's not a lot of swearing in the She's film. She's a feisty dame, bit of a pistol, you know what I'm saying? No one talks like they're a 1940s character. <laughs> but like, they, they speak in a very kind of like stylized, uh, you know, way that would you know you would find in maybe like a like a crime novel or something like that. But it's you know it's it's accessible, but it doesn't feel like pretentious or anything like that. Like all the characters are very interesting and well developed. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, he's you know he's an he's an outsider, but he knows a lot of people, and he kind of moves his way through different cliques. In it's the uh, ultimate in the, fantasy, isn't it? Like yeah. you see that a lot at this time, where the protagonist in like a high school movie is he's not a jock he's not a nerd he's not a goth he's not theater kid he's not any in any of these definable groups but he's on good terms with all of them yes and it's like this amazing fantasy of like white men who've gone into their 20s or 30s who are like i want to go back in time to my school years and be this like neutral who's just completely okay with everyone it's it's very interesting that that keeps cropping up or maybe that they're just like 
this character works because ev- literally everyone who's gone to high school can watch this and, and see something mm. of themselves in them or something. Yeah. I don't know. But it's, really, but it's a really interesting film and it's got a great mystery. He plays Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, Brendan. He's trying to solve uh, the death of his uh, ex-girlfriend played by uh, Emma, Emily de Raven, who plays Emily in the film. And he's basically trying to figure out like what happened to her and he kind of gets caught in the clutches of this like high school underworld of like drug lords and uh, drug drug dealers and things like not like drug lords like scarface but like drug- more like a, a high world yeah, yeah so yeah and there's an, un- an underschool high world you remember you remember the little kid from witness what ski ulbrich what, no no not ski no what's his lucas name? haas oh i always get them confused for some reason Isn't uh, this, yeah why do i think lucas haas is ski ulbrich yeah he plays the sort of uh villain of the movie he's called the pin like the kingpin but everyone calls him the pin the pin yeah, great nickname. All right, and, well, um, I, I, I will definitely. Um, it's make, it's watch definitely this film, it's yeah. definitely worth a watch, and I think you know I feel you know because he's 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 in this kind of like mystery film niche at the moment with the Knives Out films, and I think you know Brick has has a really good mystery, and it keeps you like really kind of engaged like all good film noir you're seeing they're thinking like what how does this all connect what the fuck is, is going, going on? on yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think like the first time i watched it i thought it was very complex and i was kind of like huh but then i watched it again and i was like uh, that makes a lot of sense well i've got to say that's a pretty good number 10 because it's right in the sweet spot it feels like it both completely encapsulates what was going on in the noughties while also yeah. looks ahead to what's going to come next so that's great um my number nine is um a film that we actually talked about offline yesterday which is russian arc uh and i i i've isolated a bit about putting this on the list because it's kind of a as, as much as it's a film it's it's also kind of an art installation um but you know for my money i just think it's a wonderful piece of cinematic um mm-hmm. Wizardry, you know, it's like a, um, you know, it's it's well, it's 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 just technically very exciting to yeah. watch if you know what the concept is, which is of course that the entire the whole film, film is done in one shot, is done in one single take, and of course, you know, we've seen that with nineteen seventeen. Is, is, is it though? Of, of course, there are bits where they move yeah, past yeah, yeah. a sofa or something, or like you know, it's like with rope or with uh, nineteen seventeen. Like you can Bird, see Birdman, you can probably notice where they've made the cuts and stuff like that. But it's not like I'm looking for it. I'm kind of engaged. Like when you yeah. watch films like that, you're engaged with the techn- technicalities of the film and, and also with what you don't the actually story is. you don't notice it as much in this one. And and it's um, you know, they did I think three runs at it and got it right the third time. Yeah. And there's actually great footage of um that Mark Cousins uses in um Story of Film. Um, the story of film. It's um it's made in 2002 by Alexander Sokharov and it's all filmed inside the um, Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg. That museum was a royal palace and of course it's now an art huge huge art museum like the Louvre. And uh, if you notice the sounds in the background it's just the dog wandering around. Um and um it's, it's Russian history. I mean, it is it is yeah. a a walk through from sort of the early modern period up to the revolution, um, of well, and and actually the revolution and beyond Russian history. And it has as its centerpiece this um, this hair raising. Um, Put your fucking phone down. I was looking. I was looking. Up, I was looking up <laughs> it's for the just film. So annoying to talk across. The, Here we finally are. I've come all this bloody way, and you're just staring at your phone, you numpty. Um, it's got this. It's yeah. got this. This brilliant center uh, set piece where they fill the ballroom and they in the Hermitage Palace and they restage 
uh, when I was saying this yesterday, I actually got it right. It's the last ball that they ever had there before the October Revolution. And they restaged that. was in that, 1917. 1917. And they restaged this huge ball with complete with people dancing, complete with the musicians, complete with yeah. They restaged, they, they, I think they used the, the original plans or whatever, or the records that they have of what was played, who was there, et cetera, et cetera. And they, they give you this, you you know you follow the camera through this ball like you're a participant mm-hmm. and what is so electrifying about that is there was this party that they throw this party that they stage this ball that they perform in this film is the first time that that room had been used for that since oh, the right. ball that's being portrayed so it's this piece of of, of kind of living history it's, it's as yeah, someone who's yeah. interested in history and as someone who can you know who's interested in film, I feel like this is one of the most exciting kind of junctures of history and film. And I think that scene is what, for me, pushes the the film into greatness um, from being, you know, from being technically just a very great uh, experience. But... um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I, it's not, I, I don't think it necessarily it's for everyone, but I wanted to put it on the list. Yeah, I mean, I heard about the movie a lot in Met Film School and I heard about it. I never really got a chance to watch it. I think it's readily available on DVD or you can rent it on, like, iTunes or something like that. Yeah, or we even, did. I think or, we did. Or, I'm like pretty sure you can. I'm sure the DVD is readily available. Yeah, but buy, the get blue, yourself the some, Blu-ray. Get yourself some caviar. Watch this movie. It's um, it is really um, it's really astonishing. And um, I actually, you know, talking about it makes me want to watch it again. So yeah, I I do. I have been meaning to watch it. I just I, I just I. It's, it's all right. You don't have to never watch never. It there's a lot of films. There are to a watch. lot of films. <laughs> a lot of films, and um, you watch a lot of them. Yes, that's true. Okay, so should we go to my my number nine? Okay, so my number nine is... I was going about to attempt the Spanish title, but I think I'm just going to say the English title, Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, good choice. Yeah. See, there's some good films on here already. Yeah, I think it's... I mean, Guillermo del Toro, he's a fantastic director, and I think he's made a lot of great movies, and I think this is one of them, and I think if people were going to make, like... A- you just did... You, those are the most uncontroversial series of opinions I've ever heard. It's like, no one in the world will disagree with that. Guillermo del Toro, great director. He's made some good movies. This is one of them. It's like, yeah. guess, correct, yes. <laughs> let's, let's, let's hear some spiky opinions, Anders. What do you yeah. really think? But um, I, think he, I think he very much works well in that... in, you know, telling these kind of very dark adult fairy fairy tales about you know mm-hmm. you know films that are very not you know that aren't afraid to actually get very violent because this film is quite brutal and violent in a lot of ways you've seen it right oh yeah yeah, yeah and you know i think because you know i think there was like um on bravo tv back in 2004 they had this like 100, <laughs> 100, 100 greatest uh, scariest moments in film and one of them was from a scene from the devil's backbone one of his horror films that's also set during the spanish civil war have you seen that no and he was talking about like how he doesn't like it when he sees films like this that were set in that time where kids were happy and everything was good and they were like you know they were cheerful and stuff and he just he he wanted to actually show like these kids had very horrible lives and you know kids died in very horrible ways too yeah and you know it's it, it it you know the the character of Ophelia played by um, Ivana Bacchiero, you know she's completely like on her own the entire film and you know living with you know her pregnant mother is you know off to like they're at this like base or something in the middle of in yeah, nowhere with that the horrible f- yeah, like, yeah yeah the military guy yeah. Play, Captain uh, Vidal played by Sergi uh, Sergi 
uh, Lopez. He's he's like one of he's the, a he's fantastic, a brilliant. Yeah, villain. yeah, he's like great, properly but, properly awful. Yeah, yeah, great. I mean, there's not really many scenes where he's humanized or any kind of way. Maybe the whole thing with the pocket watch with his dad, but like, th- there's my no- There's 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 his ass, his ass, and he died of dysentery. Uh, but no, it's a it's a fantastic film, and it's an it's just a wonderful movie about <laughs> trying to find you know peace in like a very brutal world like you know the, the sort of fantasy world where everything's well not with the pale man who like yeah i was gonna say that's not fucking peaceful <laughs> but like you know just like it's a film like you know the idea of like kids trying to find like solace in their imagination and fucking something hell, if i saw the pale man i think right i'll get me back to the spanish civil war that's just fine <laughs> yeah that was a very terrifying scene um but like the 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 the, the infano the pan the that played by Doug Jones, who's been in pretty right. much Doug Jones, who's been amazing. in all of like Del Toro's movies. You need a strange creature to be played by skinny a tall, looking, skinny looking, skinny guy. looking strange <laughs> creature. Get called Doug Jones, yeah, yeah. But there was a guy uh, I can't remember his name. It's Javier uh, Javier Botet, who's also done like all those kind of because he has something called Marfan syndrome, where his body's quite thin and he's you know he's I can't it's some I, I can't remember. It, it, basically, you are very it's your body's not you don't look. You don't look normal and your body's really thin and your hands don't are look normal. kind of thing so but of course you know he's made a career out of playing you know very freaks, freaks creature, creatures monsters yeah and oh, I, you're deformed get in my film yeah. yeah so I mean it's amazing that they've, they've been able to do that and become well known because of that and also Doug Jones Taylor's oldest time though, yeah and I think Doug Jones is fantastic and I think he did I don't know if he definitely I don't because I think they have a, a person doing the voice dubbing in the Spanish for him but I think he actually did learn it phonetically for, for the movie for the scenes when they were filming it on set Brilliant. and stuff but I just I think Del Toro's imagination is wonderful and oh, I think it's just so yeah like, exactly there's so many great details mm. even in films like Shape of Water or even Nightmare Alley like Nightmare Alley just has so much texture I love and, Nightmare Alley yeah. and just you know there's a it, it feels real like everything you know about what? it feels real he loves old movies yeah you can tell and um, you know he talks so well about um old Hollywood and old European cinema and and he just you know it, it you can see that he's really done his homework there's so much like Charles Lawton there's yeah. so much Hitchcock there's so much of all these wonderful old craftsmen in his films and um and that kind of originality in part comes from being informed by mm. you know it's something that's not as trendy you know he doesn't feel the need to go in the same directions that perhaps other contemporary directors do. So I, yeah. I think that, no, I, I mean, it's, it's such a good film. It's such it's a, a wonderful film. It's a tragic. This is one of the ones that I, it, I can reveal is not on my top 10 and I really agonized over yeah. So I'm glad it's on yours. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's a lot of, this film is a lot of things and, it, you know, it's tragic, it's sweet, it's kind of moving in a lot of ways, but like- Suspenseful. It's susp- incredibly suspenseful and brutal and it's, you know, it's 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 probably the best film I've seen or the best film I've heard of about the Spanish Civil War. Yeah. I can't think of that many others at full stop, but I know I don't think I've ever seen or heard of a treatment that's yeah. more effective. I think I and I think a lot of Spanish people um you can write to us if you're wrong yeah. if you if you're Spanish and you think we're wrong, but I think in Spain it was received that way. Anyway, yeah. Um uh, yeah, it was uh, up against uh, the best foreign language Oscar. Uh, that year what it, it, it lost to uh, the lives of others yeah the lives of others that's another ooh that was another tough choice for me <laughs> okay um, yeah let's move on then um, number eight yes number eight in Bruges where's that 
It's in Belgium. Um, <laughs> Bruges, Bruges is a shithole. Bruges is not a shithole. Bruges that is a shithole. <laughs> in Bruges is uh, one of my favourite films of this decade because it is just so goddamn funny and so um, much fun to spend time with. Uh, it's very quotable um, from, you know, you're an inanimate fucking object! They're filming. They're filming midgets. Yeah, they're filming midgets. Um, it has a great trio of... Uh, performances from uh, Ray Fiennes from Brendan Gleeson and from Colin Farrell who Colin Farrell had had a pretty like like wacky decade he'd been this breakout star in the early part yeah. of the noughties like early yeah, he played a few supporting roles and then he was a star in his own movies and then all of a sudden it's like drinking drugs and that's and like celebrity yeah, he, he was in like every like action movie in like 2003 yeah. went from he played like phone Alf, booth Alexander the, the Great yeah, he played, yeah, yeah. You know, he'd, and then suddenly he's th- then the next thing you know you wake up and it's like okay shit he's known for womanizing drinking and drug taking yeah. and then it's like this is a sort of and this is amazing all of this happens in the space of a decade this film comes out in 2008 yeah. and by that time he's already gone from like obscure nobody to world superstar to yeah. like washed up star and now in 2008 he makes a comeback yeah essentially um in um martin mcdonough's um movie and um you know it's, it, it's, it was it was the first it was one of those movies like where it, you know it's when you watch it you'd be like oh this guy's actually really good and i and then when i saw yeah. him bruce i was like wow colin farrell's actually a really good actor he's a fucking phenomenal actor that's the thing, <laughs> that's the biggest surprise about it yeah. you think uh oh, here's this cute guy with the bushy eyebrows from ireland you know um, you know he's absolutely you know heartthrob blah 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 he's not going to be able to and this film he puts in yeah. just the most incredible performance um, alongside Brendan Gleeson who's um, who's just brilliant and in he's a, had an illustrious in a film career also, just like again talking about originality like to set a reworking of Harold Pinter's um, the dumb waiter. The dumb waiter in Bruges, <laughs> which is in Belgium, um, and yeah. have it have Bruges be both a character and kind of a recurring punchline in this film. Just going to look um, it up for a second, just though. What, Bruges? Oh, yeah, no, no, not Bruges, but who did the cinematography in Bruges? Because it's a beautiful film as well. Yeah, but it's just, I just, I love the idea of it and the fact that they never, they never let the idea just sort of, they don't, they don't, they don't run away with it. They, they keep it tight. They keep the jokes really like on message and. Um, it's yeah, it's it, it, it. You can't you can't but enjoy yourself. With it's it a very enjoyable film, and also yeah. like incredibly well written. In and also just the way that Martin McDonough manages to like bring in like you know great amount of humor, but also just like really like dark and violent moments. It's like yeah, the, well again, it's that fairy tale. It's that yeah. fairy tale thing that my, uh, he has such a sense of the macabre and the gothic and the like where you where you can push uh yeah. a narrative like his play the pillow man for example is is a, is just so delightfully messed up um also his short film which i think he won an oscar for six shooter which also has martin mcdonald that is like you know for anyone who wants to make movies or you know who wants to who needs to find short films to watch that's definitely one of the ones that you could watch it's Again, very funny, but also at the same time very violent and crazy, and all these things. And, yeah. Bre- and Brendan Gleeson's in it. You are, I mean, there you go. Yeah, um, it's nice to see him reunited with those two again for the Banshees of Inisherin, which I really, really want to watch. Yes, we should try and see that. Um, so, so anyway, in Bruges, needs no introduction. What is your number eight? Yeah, so my number eight is a movie I know that you 
haven't watched. Uh, it's a film from 2003, and it uh, won uh, the Palme d'Or and Best Director at the Cannes Film Festival. Oh my god! And it is a film directed by, uh, written and directed by Gus Van Sant, and it's a movie called Elephant. And have you heard of Elephant? No, but the White Stripes released an album called Elephant around the same time. Yeah. So it's, um, I think Gus Van Sant, he he was good at. I think in this sort of period, he did a lot of films where he found like, you know, great performances out of like non-actors, like people who just you know did like one film and then that was it. And Is stuff. this film does it star an elephant? No. Oh, okay. Well, there's an elephant on the poster, but it doesn't have an elephant in the movie. But no, yeah, it's, it's it's one of those things where it's like. Why is it called Elephant? But anyway, so yeah, the film is set in American high school. It's set over a day and it focuses on uh, various different students. Uh, one of the students, I'm just going to get the uh, name up, is um, he is called uh, Elias. Elias, And he's actually called Elias McConnell. The actor's name is McConnell. Like all the, helps. all the characters' names have their first name and they're playing like fictionalized versions of themselves. And um, it starts off with him being driven to school by his drunk father. And then he, you know, goes, to, you know, it, follow, it, it, you know, it kind of jumps a little bit in time and following on different, uh, uh, different actors and stuff. And a lot of it's shot in like one takes and the cinematography by Harris uh, Savidas, who sadly died in 2013. He also worked, on, oh, 2012, sorry. He worked on a, on a lot of, he worked on a few of Gus Van Sant's films and also uh, Zodiac, The Game and a few of Sofia Coppola's movies. So he was like a really good cinematographer and, had a really good eye and stuff so it follows various different people's uh, people in the school and it all builds up to a school shooting oh fuck yeah oh Jesus so Christ. the movie is inspired by columbine the whole the whole film is inspired oh you know what? i've that. seen a film i've seen a clip from it isn't it the one at the end where there's a guy like walking down the corridor and then he's get shot yeah yeah it's basically like that so it, it, there's a really kind of like i'm not watching that no no but it's <laughs> i mean that but it's like it, it, i mean fair but enough. but also it also it's it you know there's a scene in the film where like these two kids the, the guys who you know do commit the, the crime the, the there's, there's a moment yeah. at their house where they're just watching tv and there's stuff about world war ii and hitler on the on the television it's all done in like one take and then you see a delivery man come with a package and in the package is an assault rifle no. a machine gun Great. And it just kind of makes a point of like, you know, how crazy the gun violence is in America, but also just shows that these kids, you know, they're losers, they're bullied and everything like that. And it just kind of builds up to a point where it's like, they're, yeah, they're going to go into Don't a school. Don't bully like, people in America because they can order assault rifles online. Easily uh, online. But yeah, I'm, I can't, there was an article that someone posted on Twitter the other day, which made me really like appreciate the movie even more. But it's, it was one of those films where I watched it for the first time and I knew of the film because it was on like, were, again film four and everything like that and it was it, it sounded like an interesting film and i just remember watching it the first time and i still have it on dvd and i just like i was watching it in my boarding school alone and it when it built up, <laughs> up to that whole thing with the school shooting and everything and how it kind of cuts together and how the film just feels like it just feels like an everyday every day any day at school like normally you're at pe you're at class you're in the cafeteria right. talking that's with what's your so awful about these things and it yeah. feels so realistic and naturalistic i don't even think they had like a script maybe the, a lot of the dialogue was just improvised so i think Ugh. that that says a lot about gus van sant's direction and things like that and you know i think he he was great at capturing naturalism and naturalistic uh feelings in his movies especially in some of his like more indie work like before like goodwill hunting and stuff like that no, but right. also just the way that it just kind of 
you know, there's a scene in a library where we, we're following one of the characters and we see we see it from her point of view and then she's just doing something and then you just hear in the ah, background. That's and it's so scary. fucking terrifying. It's a really oh terrifying movie. Like the last few minutes of the movie after watching her and then when it ends and you hear like... And it ends with this piano thing of... And you're just sitting there like... Fuck. Jesus. Well, Produced by Diane Keaton. Really? Yeah, I think... Random. Yeah. Okay. Well, she's she's an executive producer on the film. No, it's it's. Uh, I don't. Yeah, it's not. It, it, it is a it, a very it is a subject that's still very prevalent in America, and I think. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. you know it's. And we don't need to go down a rabbit hole no, talking about we, school we, shooting. We but obviously, we it's no. a very, obviously the film has had an effect on you. So uh, yeah, I, but uh, no, I mean I can't say necessarily I'm going to run to watch this film, but I'm kind of glad it exists. Yeah, put it. I'll put it that way. I'm as well. I mean, also just the fact that you know, just amazing that the I don't think. I think Gus Van Sant is one of those people who actually at the Cannes Film Festival won Best Director and The Palme d'Or. I think he's one of few people to do that. Wow. Well, um, great director. Yes. Well, clearly. Um, all right. So uh, number seven. Yes. Uh, I picked, uh, and this is where it starts to get a little. Uh, it does start to get a little difficult because I do have to leave out a number of films, and I I, re- I had a lot of candidates um, for this particular slot but i decided ultimately to go with the film that i watched recently uh that our friend our mutual friend adam wegg recommended uh, which is happy go lucky directed by mike lee also from 2008 and starring yeah. the incomparable sally hawkins yeah uh, who is one who of, is great who was she's one of the greatest great. directors uh, greatest actors excuse me of our time and um probably less well known although better known now because of shape of water but she's excellent in everything mm. she's in and this in this film she plays a primary school teacher in london the part was written who's what 30-ish uh, the part was written for her she is well as the title suggests she's happy-go-lucky she's eternally optimistic yeah. in the face of um you know people who want life to be perhaps want her to feel that life is more complicated than it is um but she drifts through this film she spreads joy and um takes driving lessons with a delightfully unhinged uh, driving instructor and played by Eddie Marson. Yes. Uh, and it is um it, it it's a delight. It really is. And it is a, it's Mike Lee also doing the thing that Mike Lee does which is to show you know we've we've seen any number of British films come out about um upper middle class or upper class people mm. living exclusive lives that are open to a very small section of the British population. This is a film about a normal person of the lower middle class who yeah. or lower class whatever you want to call it like just a working class slash lower middle class person who um um you know who represent who's far more representative of the population at large who works in the state sector who um you know who deals with uh the mundanities of life and who doesn't have the opportunity just to sort of jet off to, to where you know to southern spain or to, to you know to do you know to go and stay in someone's ancestral pile for the weekend you know they yeah. go out clubbing at the weekend um you know she goes she goes to um she goes to flamenco classes with her boss she she goes on dates to the pub you know she goes it's just it's it's a wonderful portrait of what sort of life in london actually feels like i think for for a lot of people and yeah. but also a portrait of someone who is not letting life beat her down and is taking energy taking and giving energy and it's a it's a really um it's a really just lovely lovely movie and um for me 
um, it brought back such wonderful memories of living in London. Um, and I just found it very moving for that reason. So, so it took, it kind of yeah. came in as a late dark horse and kind of took out a lot of other films that could have been in this, um, could have been in this here, um, uh, slot, but, um, you know, I just had to, uh, I just had to make room for it because it, it just left me feeling so, um, you know happy about you know, it's a good it's a good feel good film um and um um i mean i've seen yeah. it the only, and, and the, unusual you know because it's not you don't you don't often see films about people just living their lives yeah not a lot it's the opposite of one of mike lee's film i haven't seen a lot of mike lee's stuff the only one of his films i've seen is um naked with david thewlis and that is the, the opposite of of a happy-go-lucky film. It's yeah. like, it's such a depressing film and David Thewlis is like this self-destructive, misanthropic guy. And, um, but Mike Lee yeah, is one of Yeah, she's not like that. <laughs> but yeah, she sounds a bit like Ted Lasso. Uh, but like, um, no, but Mike Lee's a very interesting filmmaker and I like the fact that he he's one of those directors who like, kind of comes up with a concept for a film, sits down with the actors and then just, they kind of just build the script from the characters from there. And I think that, that's really interesting and he does that for all of his movies and I think that's pretty pretty fantastic yeah well what's your number seven uh, my number seven is a movie called another independent uh, independent independent in, in, well independent yeah independent film from uh, 2003 and that is Tom McCarthy's movie The Station Agent with uh, Peter Dinklage Michelle Williams Bobby Cannavale and Patricia Clarkson okay um, which I have not seen yeah I did talk about it on a uh, Holmes Movies Recommends episode back when we were locked in and had to watch yeah, stuff definitely on zoom then yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah we were on zoom uh but no the film it's um i think this was like i mean peter dinglish was uh very well known as in like sort of independent films you know not you know now he's just known as like Tyrion lannister from game of thrones and all that but uh no the station agent he plays a character called finbar mcbride and finbar mcbride is like this really reclusive uh train enthusiast <laughs> And um, okay. he loves trains and he walks around with a pocket watch. And uh, he feels like he's kind of cut himself off from society because of because he's a dwarf and people, you know, make fun of him because he is a dwarf and look at him like he's, you know, a freak, basically. And um, he works in like a train store in New Jersey or Hoboken or somewhere like that. And then the, the, the owner Hoboken of that... isn't New Jersey. Well, yeah, something like that. Yeah. So the owner of that uh, train store, and they have like this very quiet relationship where they just kind of enjoy each other's companies and things like that. The owner of that train store dies. And then, oh. and then he inherits this piece of land that's on a train yard. And it's like this like rail. It's like, it's like a house that the guards lived in when they were like changing the lines on the trains and things like that and it's out, okay. in, the, out in the middle of nowhere in new jersey and richard kind who's the uh lawyer who's dealing with the will he says like yeah i've, I've driven out there there's nothing <laughs> <laughs> and in doing so he meets a bunch of characters he meets Bob, bobby cannavale who's this very sort of like happy and cheerful and talkative you know guy who runs his dad's food truck because his dad is ill and he really wants to like get to know finbar and everything like that and then they sort of build this you know you know finbar's very like reluctant at first to kind of open up to him and you know hang around with him and the guy's just like you want to go for a beer no i don't drink you want to go for a walk no <laughs> and stuff like that <laughs> and and then he also meets uh patricia clarkson who's a woman who um has recently had her own uh, bout with tragedy and is like sort of dealing with a lot of things as well so the three of them kind of have this they, they they form this kind of like trio and they become friends and so it's, it's a surrogate family surrogate yeah. family and i think it's like a really it's a really interesting movie and it's a film i really kind of you know it, 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 yeah I, I i sort of 
emotionally kind of connect to the movie as well and stuff. And I think it's a, it's a really well made independent you know film. And you know Tom McCarthy went off to do films like The Visitor and uh, Spotlight and um, it, an actor himself. Um, he was in uh, the last season of The Wire. He's one of the journalists uh, in that film. He's the guy that sort of fabricates a bunch of stories. Okay. Well, that sounds that sounds lovely. I, yeah, I, yeah. I'd, I'd love to watch that. It's a, it's a really it's a really I mean, it's kind of a sad film and it's a feel-good movie at the same time, but you do feel kind of like... I love ha- that. I ha- love a sad feel-good movie. Yeah, uh, that, that, that's, that's right in my sweet spot. Okay, so, um, so that's, that's brilliant. So we've had some, some good independent films. We've got, some, um, we've got some animation on there. We've got a nice smattering of uh, different things going on. Yeah, yeah. No, no big franchises yet. No, no. Um, so, interesting. All right, um, number... What are we on? Six? Six. Uh, Six. Uh, what? I said sex. Just like why did you say sex? I said sex. You know, not ain't all tight for your fib sex. Okay, but it sounds like to the listeners that you're you <laughs> sex. Just said sex. All oh, right, um, <laughs> fair enough. Um, I was on an airplane once, and um, the <laughs> woman, um, the there was a there was a teenage girl traveling, um, you know, with one of those little things around her neck that shows that she has to be like taken care of by the stewardess yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was sitting next to my friend Will Pickering and I. Hi, Will, if you're listening, and. Um, uh, we realized during the flight that she was draw. There was there was a, the seat back in front of her was like a blue thing with white dots, and she was filling in the white dots in pen. And we were sort of watching her for a while. We were like, "What is she doing?" And um, and then she she we realized she'd written the word sex, and we were like, "Oh, what?" And, and then the stewardess came and told off, and we were like, oh, "Shit, man!" And we're like looking out the window, like reading our like, books. We like, are not with her. Yeah, it's like nothing to do with us. Yeah, very awkward. Anyway, um, what's your number six? <laughs> My number six is. Finding Nemo, um, which is hello, <laughs> hello. Uh, I was either this or Wally. Uh, it came down to I had to, I couldn't do two Pixar films. That was too many. So I, I said, li- to, I like Wally, but I don't know. It's okay. So Wally is the oh, yeah. better film. You think Wally's the better F- film? Finding Nemo is more fun to watch. Yeah, but Finding Nemo is just as big of an achievement in terms of the technical achievement of the animation. In fact, maybe even more because water is apparently really hard to do. It um, is apparently very very difficult to do. But Wally. Is in terms of the narrative, I think Wally is just so. There's so much poetry and so much pathos in Wally. I mean, it's just like which one am I? If you're going to sit me down and say we're watching a Pixar movie, I probably will pick this one sixty percent of the time and Wally forty yeah. percent of the time. They're both excellent. You yes. could put if you really are offended by my choice of Finding Nemo, just put Wally in here instead, people. Or Finding Dory, if you prefer that movie. No, that Finding Dory was doesn't qualify because it was made in the twenty tens and it is not as good. So Fine. shut up. Um, so. Um, Finding Nemo needs no introduction, of course. Uh, it is full of beautiful uh, animation, incredible uh, uh, talent of, of voice uh, actors uh, assembled for this film. Like, actually mm. kind of insane when you think about it, uh, how many good people are in this. And just such a great, like, journey, you know, of this quest uh, to get this stupid goldfish out of an aquarium in a dentist's office. Clownfish. Uh, and, um, yeah, right. For, you know, for a clownfish, it really isn't that funny. Um, and... Um, Pity. You have um, you have all these brilliant characters, all these these excellent bits with the you know you've got the turtles, you've got the sharks, you've got the schools of fish, you've got the whale. You have Ellen DeGeneres as just powerhouse performances. Dory, mm. I mean, Dory is just a great creation. And then Albert Brooks, who um, is such he's such a good choice for um, what's his face, Marlon, Marlon, and um, 
It is, yeah, it's it's lovely. It's got you. You'll you'll laugh. You'll cry. And um, fucking cry in the first few minutes of the movie. Jesus Christ. Um, well, I don't know. It's, it's that's a bit too early on. I mean, I think steady on. I mean, I know I know you cry at everything, but like I think my I think there are certain. There are definitely certain bits where it's sort of like, oh, oh man. Yeah, but, um, I mean that's where Pixar is good when, yeah. when when they could get, they could hurt, they could touch you in your feels, they could touch you, they could touch your feelings, touch you and hurt you, um, <laughs> and make you laugh because yeah. Finding Nemo is the, the, hilarious. The, the, the film opening that I always cry in is Up, and then the rest of Up is actually not that good. It's like the first fifteen minutes is sublime, and then it's like, what is this? Um, and um, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Just true. <laughs> um, and um, but yeah, no, Finding Nemo is fantastic all the way through. There are very few bits that aren't that don't land, and then it has that great thing of when the quest gets a bit too dark or too anything, you go to the the goldfish bowl in the uh, or the, in the aquarium, aquarium. In, the, in the in the office, and then you have all this sort of you know brilliant kind of you know insane kind of escape plot um, thing that they've got going on, and um, yeah, it's sort of, yeah, you, you, it's comic relief, you know. It's, it's, it's great comic relief. Yeah. But also, like, I love Alison Janney as the starfish. Yeah, she's great. Willem Dafoe is the other one. I, yeah. I, and then the punchline with those fish that they finally break out and they're in their plastic bags in the sea. Being like, and they're like, do now. Now what? <laughs> and, of course, you have the seagulls. So, seagulls. Mine, mine, mine. Which but like, but from great... now on, every time we see a seagull, you just go, mine. Yeah. That's the whole thing. It's, yep. a, it's genius. So, um, so but, yeah. Finding Nemo uh, is... Um, yeah, and Jeffrey, my... Jeffrey Rush as the Pelican. That's yep. great. Finding Nemo is my number six. What is your number six? Uh, my number six is a film from 2002. It's a uh, Brazilian film. It's City of God, Ooh, which I think I'm was one of saying, the which, yeah, I've not which was one of those this. films at that time, which was like really like, oh, you got to watch City of God. Yeah, definitely popular. one of those ones that like, yeah uh, um, people like to sound clever about. Yep. Yeah, it, I it was one of those films I did watch at uh, boarding school. I remember. It, I remember, like, because sometimes I'd watch TV and they would always show, like, the films that were being on the box office at that time and they showed, like, clips from that film. So the film and the poster always kind of stuck with me and images yeah, and things like that. And it's a really interesting... Like, the beginning of the film, I love the beginning of the film because it, it, it showcases the themes and the sort of atmosphere of the movie and, like, the editing is quite, like, you know, fast-paced but not in that kind of, like, disorienting in disorientating way we're like what's happening so the film like it focuses on this like chicken who's watching all these other chickens getting chopped up and like pecked and like cooked <laughs> to make into into food and it's sort of symbolizing like oh this is what it's like living in the brazilian slums like you, at one point you're doing the this and then you're yeah. like fucking shot or whatever you get caught up in crime and it's about all these criminals these kids these teenagers who just become like but the kids are not chickens no the kids are not chickens it's not like a it would be great if it was if you had the the yeah. entire city of Rio de Janeiro populated by chickens. You had like big chickens in the government buildings and then there's like other chickens living in the favelas. Yeah. Yeah. There's a movie. Yeah. Someone should make that. <laughs> and uh, then one of the chickens escapes and then the people like chasing after and then it uh, the chicken like, f- uh, it, you know, falls into the hands of the main character who narrates uh, the film and he's caught in the crossfire in the beginning of the film with two gangs pointing guns at each other and then it flashes back to how this is what the chicken is a witness no 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 no. but it's like narrated by the main character who tells not narrated by the chicken no it's not narrated by the chicken it's, narrated it's like by... one of those things where a chicken's running away from a crowd of people and there's the needle scratch and be like you might be wondering how I got in. <laughs> it's not like that <laughs> but that would be amazing if the whole film was just narrated by a chicken um, but no it narrates back to how you know it's sort of like an origin story of all these criminals and how they kind of became who they were and it's um, again it's a film popular with a lot of characters who I don't think are professional actors. I don't think like it's a very, it almost feels semi-documentary. It has that kind of docudrama right, kind right, of feel right, yeah. to it. And it's very, 
energetic. It's very pulpy and uh, visceral. And um, the performances in the movie are very good. There's a lot of great characters, a lot of characters you like, a lot of characters you hate. And um, it, it didn't realize until the end of the film that it's actually inspired a little bit by true facts and stories and things like that. Right. Oh, no, I can imagine, yeah. But also just kind of like, it, it, it's interesting the way like, it, 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 I, it's like this thing about like, you know, it's like scene in The Sopranos where he's talking about like, you know how his life as a gangster it's like there's like one ways there's few ways of where i could go you could either die as an old man in jail or you get shot and it's one of those things with these kids in this like in this air in the slum you as they living like the outlaw criminal life they, it's there's only like a limited way that these people can go it's they die or they you know somehow make it out yeah and it's very tragic and it's brutal like very brutal like so there's like again with like Guillermo del toro's movie you know, kids. A lot of moments where, like, kids are actually, you know, you know, you know, you see them get shot and stuff oh. like that. So it's very violent. That's like that's really emerging as a theme on this top ten. Is like kids being shot. <laughs> yeah, but it's but it's a fantastic film and really really worth watching if you haven't seen it because it's the, the filmmaking style of it is 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 amazing. And it's got a it, it it's very sort of it's got a particular kind of color palette, doesn't it? Yeah, like from very the, the, that bright, sort of orangey, yeah, 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 very hazy, yellowy, mm. like kind of has that sort of like grading that traffic had when it's set in mexico mm, yeah well i really that's been on my list for a while i need to watch it well we're hitting the top five now um my fifth best film of the noughties uh another one that uh had again again it was uh, you know up against a lot of other good candidates because my top four kind of wrote itself but uh, number five is Wong Kar Wai's In the Mood for Love, um, which is... Still haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, you, yeah, you should watch it. Yeah, I know. Um, I haven't seen any of Wong Kar Wai's films. I should watch them. Uh, In the Mood for Love is great. Um, it's about two people who are both... Uh, they, they're the, the man's wife and the woman's husband are having an affair. Mm-hmm. And they are, they, you know, are left alone because of the infidelity of their partners so they start seeing each other but not but in a way that's intensely romantic but they don't ever consummate consummate the relationship so it's this very erotic very um uh very very as i say very moving uh film but also it's sort of frustrating and um uh it's kind of a little bit of a dance you know Mm. and but it's just gorgeous it's so um, like it's so easy on the eye. It's so yeah. stylish. Uh, Maggie Chung is is tremendous in it. Um, the, from the clips I've seen, it does look like a very gorgeous looking film. It's, yeah, gorgeous is the word. Um, and uh, it's um, I it's, think Christopher you know, Doyle is the cinematographer on the movie, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, well, it came out in 2000, so it's right on the cusp of the right on the cusp of the decade. There, it's Tony Leung Chu Wai is the yeah. uh, the the main. Um, the main guy the main dude so it's it's he and maggie chung play this sort of um these um you know the the these two kind of non-lover lover characters Mm. um and uh, you know it's set in the it's set in the 60s it's um you know it has a sort of period styling yeah 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 so you know there's you have the opportunity there to sort of play with the costumes and so on and it's um um yeah just just a visual feast um and a great reminder of just what a a, a phenomenal filmmaker Wong Kar Wai is uh and also that there was a lot going on in this decade in the uh in Japan in Korea and in 
uh, Chinese cinema. Yeah, um, the 2000s. You know, you look like, at Crouching Tiger, you look at so on, you know, House of Flying Daggers and all this stuff. There's, there's plenty there's a going lot, on. Yeah. A lot of great movies in the 2000s period in Asian yeah. cinema. Yeah. Also like horror movies as well, like Pulse. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, of course. Like Pulse was a great one. So um, so just, you know, again, I wanted to make sure this was in there. It, it beat out a film that um, may make it onto our list that, um, you know, I had I, I thought it was really tragic that I had to leave it off, but that's the thing. You've only got 10 to pick from, uh, and you've got 10 years to choose from. That's sometimes how it goes. But I do think this is justifiably... Um, uh, worth everyone's time it doesn't it it might it feels it's a funny film to watch because it feels like it's not going anywhere but then yeah. you realize that it actually is and has gone somewhere and taken you with it um but it's it's a great um it's just a it's just heartbreaking and melancholy but just oh so stylish yeah. as well i mean that's a, and it, so it, it's it no it's no wonder that it always makes it onto these big lists of like sight and sound and so on i think it probably wasn't i think it was yeah it definitely was mentioned on the sight and sound um, uh, recently so, list so yeah Recent so list, it is sorry. um it might not be it might not be a film that you come back to again and again and again. You're like, oh my god, I know. Let's watch In the Mood for Love. I'm mean, yeah. to watch a rom com. It's, it's not. It's the kind uh, of film if you're at film school, if you're learning about lighting or cinematography, it's one of those films yeah, that but they're going to watch. It. Don't watch it to like watch it as a narrative yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. watch it to enjoy. Watch it and 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 see just how tightly controlled, beautifully uh, designed and uh, and shot it is. Yes. Um, and um, and yeah, it will. It will. It's very rewarding. Um, and yeah, so that's my number five. What? Where? Where are you at? So my number five is a film from one of my favorite directors, and that is Mulholland Drive. Oh, you know, I haven't seen this, and this is always on those lists as well. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the well, this, we're recording this like a couple of days after the Sight and Sound one came out, and Mulholland Drive was all over that. Um, it so, is one of like David Lynch's movies that everyone is like, "Oh, Mulholland Drive is really good." And I, I need watch, to watch it. It was like I need I to mean, watch David. I mean, Lynch all movies. of his movies are great. I mean, I love all of them, even Dune, which is you know. A film right, we talk about Mulholland Drive. Yeah. But okay, so Mulholland Drive originally was supposed to be like a new TV series. It was it, oh. it was originally going to be like you know some like I can't remember who it was that came to him and it was like, hey, David Lynch, uh, we want to work with you. Do you have any ideas? And he was like, yeah, of course, I, I have some ideas. So they shot a pilot, which um, you know, it's it, it, it's it's funny when watching the film, you can kind of feel like oh, this did start off as something, but then when they were like, uh, yeah, we're not really into the show. And then like David Lynch decided to turn it into a movie. You can kind of get an idea of like, oh, where this could have gone on if this was Is it very long a- then? Uh, no, yeah, two and a half hours. So yes. Yes. So it's a film in like, it's, it's, it's a film in like two parts. I'll say it like that without really spoiling anything. And so the it, I think David Lynch is one of those guys who I feel like was a big fan of film noir. And I think that sort of, he was, I think one of his films was Sunset Boulevard and the character, there's a character mentioned in Sunset Boulevard called Gordon Cole. And Gordon Cole is the character that he plays in Twin Peaks. Uh, he, wait, who plays? David Lynch plays in Twin Peaks. Oh, David Lynch plays in Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll have to speak a bit louder. I'm deaf in one ear. Long story. Mm -hmm. Good man, that Sheriff Coop. Uh, that's how he talks in the show okay. so it, it um in the beginning of the film there's a limousine driving up Maholland Drive and it's like Angelo Badlamenti's score it's really cool and sexy and noirish and then it's uh Laura Herring is a character she's sitting in the back and then these two drivers are you know about to pull a gun on her but then these two cars crash into them and then she's left wondering uh Los Angeles 
without, you know, she's lost her memory. And then she finds herself at this kind of, you know, in a lonely place, kind of like that sort of like place where Humphrey Bogart lives, where like, like all like these a, like, like, a, like, a, um, like an apartment complex, but yeah, like a, yeah. an LA kind of apartment complex. Yeah, like one of those kind of with a square in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she meets uh, Naomi Watts's character who's just come to LA to become a movie star. And it's like, it, it, it's it's a film about Hollywood and LA, but also like so the it's sort a of kind of updating of Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, yeah. Very I mean, the title. The, the title yeah, obviously yeah. plays on that yeah so it's it's one of those films I remember when it came out everyone was like this film's so confusing I don't understand it at all and then when watching it I was kind of like I have no idea what's going on but I'm very interested with it and then watching it again you kind of when you read up on theories it kind of makes sense about what the film is about and yeah it's just uh, one of those one of those great uh, one of those great movies um very fantastically well made. Uh, David Lynch is a great director and just the way that he kind of, you know, brings us into this mystery without really showing any what it's supposed to mean or anything like that. I think he kind of leaves people, you know, figuring it out for themselves. And I think that's I feel really like we've great. both picked very frustrating films yeah. with our number five <laughs> yeah. audience. What's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think like, you know, it's a, it, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, it's a very... It, it, Mulholland Drive is a lot of things and I think it, it's it's incredibly moving and romantic and um, sad as well and just yeah, mysterious and cool, uh, yeah, I, cool. it's, I really want to watch I really really want to see it yeah I mean um, if I was going to start if I was going to show anyone a David Lynch movie I don't think I would start with this movie I'd probably start with one of his more earlier films like Blue Velvet which is a little bit more accessible or maybe Wild at Heart or maybe Elephant Man which is like his most like I mean, his more straightforward, straightforward and accessible. Even also like something like the Straight Story, which he made for Disney. Okay, that was now quite we're just David Lynch movies. Why don't we stick to the yes. Norseys and go to number four? Um, number which four is uh, Sexy Beast. Um, which we've no, 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 no. <laughs> Might be like a right cut. Um, uh, Sexy Beast. Um, so uh, wait a second. Who directed it? It came. Jonathan out- uh, Glazer was his first movie, but he had also done uh, uh, commercials and music videos and things like that. Yeah, you know, which you can tell. And it came out in two thousand and one, right? To that, yeah, two thousand uh, or two thousand one. Yeah, uh, it might be two thousand actually. Um, it. Uh, yeah, oh, it was 2000. 2000. Yeah, so that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. two from 2000, right next to each other. Yeah. Um, Ray Winston plays a retired thief living in Spain. He's brought in to do one last job by the in- incredibly unhinged performance by Guy Pierce, uh, who plays Guy Pierce. Wait, Ben Kingsley. Ben Kingsley. What am I talking about? <laughs> what am I t- oh, what's going on with my brain? Ben fucking Kingsley, um, who plays a. Uh, um, Don Logan. Don Logan. Goes down to Spain to try and convince um, uh, Ray Winston's um, gal. Uh, gal Dove yeah. uh, to uh, to go back and do this job. And um, you're going to take this job. Yes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. <laughs> um, it's it's so many. Th- I mean, it's a very, very tight little 90 minute film. Uh, of course, you, he does go back to London. The main uh, gangster character he works for there is played by Ian McShane, so the third great uh, presence. In this, yeah, another great presence in this film. But it really, the whole thing just hinges on that relationship, that dangerous relationship between. Unpredictable uh, relationship. And, and Don Logan, yeah. And it's. Um, and the way that Logan comes into Gull's life, like sort of this wrecking ball, you know. And. Um, it is. It is a. It, it's so stylish. It's so 
funny in places and then it has that it's like incredible tension of the good mm. of a good kind of noiry heist film yeah um and good um, heist scene as well oh yeah very and original too mm. um it yeah so i mean there's not that much to say about it other than that's fucking great you know yeah. it's got ray winston who would be one of kind of the the stars of the noughties in a way because he was he started to he'd been around for a long time but he started mm. to get more and more roles in not just kind of British gangster films, but in mainstream Hollywood films, not never, not usually in the lead role, but um, uh, obviously Ian McShane was going to have a great yeah. decade uh, as um, as Al Swearengen in Deadwood, um, and Ben Kingsley's building on you know this this whole you know, he'd already won an Oscar oh, for he's, he's already, yeah he's already like you know he's pro- he's more than an established star, but the here you know he he takes his. You know, most people are familiar with him from Schindler's List or from Gandhi or something. He takes, he's like a completely different person, yeah. and it is—it's just like it, 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 it's terrifying. It, it's to one watch. of these—it's one of these roles which is so—it's—it feels so physically present. It feels like he's stretching his hand out of the the yeah. cinema screen to like throttle you. I mean, it's a bit like—it's almost a bit like Lee Marvin in Point Blank, um, like Richard Widmark or something like that. Richard Widmark. Well, no, but like he he had a quite he could play like unhinged characters. As yeah, well. but I I do think with all due respect to Richard Midmark, he did a very good job. I feel like this this like intense physicality that yeah, uh, yeah. Ben Kingsley brings to the role is um is something just um it, there's something just so kind of like scary in that and yeah, immediate yeah, yeah. in that and you 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 do not um you you don't like he is the image that stays in your head. At the end of this film, yeah, 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 for, yeah. for for lots of reasons. Um, but it's also, yeah, it's a great, um, it's it's a, it's a great. We we put it on our films of sweaty films, list, didn't sweaty we? films, um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, very sweaty film, very good film about being in the, the heat. stranglers in yeah. Spain and it's hot down there. It mm-hmm. reminds me of like some of the places I've been to in Mallorca and like it's yeah, really it's, lovely area where it's they a shot. fun. Yeah, it's a fun travel uh, by proxy. Yeah, and yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It, it is. They did film it around Almeria, didn't they? Mm, yeah, I think so. Which is why they did the Spaghetti Western. So, watch Sexy Beast if you haven't already. I mean, sure, yeah. loads of you have, but it's. Uh, I'm sure many of you will agree it's it's definitely top ten material. What is your number four? Uh, my number four is Christopher Nolan's second film, Memento. Oh, which I've not seen either, but that's the one where everything happens backwards. Yeah, which I didn't know about until watching the film, and I was very confused and then once i kind of wrapped my head around okay this film is working backwards and the stuff the black and white stuff in the motel room it's all gonna kind of connect and when you watch it it's like oh that's clever i like that i like the way that it's sort of revealing its mystery in the way that it does with the narrative and i think that's that's kind of cool and it's one of the things that Christopher Nolan has done throughout his career, this idea of playing around with time and the concept Oh, it's of it. incredibly annoying. Um, <laughs> and especially in Interstellar, which just lost me. Um, Don't leave me, Bert. <laughs> um, but um, uh, uh, Dunkirk has fun with it, of course. Um, but yeah, I, I, I guess one of the reasons I haven't watched Memento is because like, the whole concept annoys me a little bit. But is it, it is good. It is worth it. Is it. Very well, good. it is very good. It is very good. It is very good. Gary... Guy Pearce. Guy Pearce. Ben Kingsley. I was going to say <laughs> Gary, Gary Pearce. I was going to say Gary Lineker for a second. Gary Lineker is not in Memento. Yeah, so, That's yeah. Much mistaken. Guy Pearce, is, uh, his performance in it is very uh, fantastic. I think, you know, him and he was great in LA Confidential and I think, uh, and also Adventure, Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. I think those three films are like three of his best performances ever. And I think, you know, it's one of those films where you know the whole movie is you know built around this unreliable narrator and i think that is fantastic it's based you know guy who 
has short-term memory and can't make any new memories because of an accident and it's like like how do you make that work and i think it's you know a very great you know character study in, in in so many ways but also just a great mystery and it has a bit of a hint of noir as well and like the first two films that nolan did very much your word of the day noir. yeah noir but following and uh following and um memento nolan's first two movies have that kind of noir aspect to it and um i'd love to see him do like a smaller movie i think it's just it's a shame he's still kind of stuck in big blockbuster stuff yeah well that's what happens isn't it i mean i i think he's kind of yeah I've seen Insomnia, of course. That's a great film. Yeah, that's the um, movie he did after this, which is yeah. also great and doesn't get talked about as much. But no, Memento is I just the whole style of it is great. I mean, it's not like I don't feel like the movie's pretentious. I don't think you know. I think it, it sounds it, like it might. Be. It might be, but I feel like it. It, 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 it not in a in a different director's hands. It might be like in the way like there was a movie called Twenty One Grams. Have you have you heard of that film? I've heard of it. Yeah, in your film and that film. Yeah jumps around a fucking hell of a lot in many ways like there's stuff that happens like at the film's end and then it goes to the beginning and then in the middle and stuff and it plays around with the narrative a lot and that is done in a way where it's a little bit like confusing and maybe it could have worked as a more straightforward narrative film but i feel like in memento it's interesting in the way that it kind of you know pulls the rug out from under the audience while at the same time and it's just you know having like this kind of straightforward mystery and then it kind of becomes something else and deals with like all these other aspects of like you know uh loss and also you know how do you cope with that loss and things like that and the things that we do to help us move through that so it's not just a film about a guy trying to find someone who murdered his wife and him you know having this short-term memory loss it's there's a lot kind of under the surface okay Carrie Ann Moss is great. I like. I love. I really like Carrie Ann Moss as an such actress. A, such a such a noughties yeah, yeah, yeah. person. <laughs> but then, but then you got Joe pa- uh, Joey Pants, Joe Pantoliano as well. He's you know Cipher from the Matrix. So. Yeah, another huge presence of yeah, the noughties. Yeah. I mean, think about it, he's also in The Sopranos, very memorably. Yeah, 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 yeah Ralph. So. Uh, but he's great as Teddy, his the reluctant helper of you know Leonard Shelby, and um, also a character who you're not quite sure about, and you're not really sure what his. Uh, motivations and aims are but um i, I do like uh, joe uh pantoliano's performance i think he's um he's a great like supporting character in that film oh yeah well, he's good in everything he touches all right well uh i'm convinced <coughs> great dialogue as well really good I'm, dialogue i'm convinced i will add it to my add it to my list so so we do top three top three um number three for me is the assassination of jesse james by the coward robert ford which came out in 2007 yeah directed by what's his face andrew dominic who uh a lot of people hate now for his marilyn monroe movie oh yeah which looks awful um i um uh i'm not watching that uh but this is a really good film um i i love i love everything about this as a like as a fan of westerns as someone who enjoys the the potential for slowness and melancholy mm. and cold in a western to see a western come out that has such a such a quiet such a darkness such melancholic. a melancholic sort of melancholic state and uh, is completely like cinema the cinematography we're talking here about the greatest crime perhaps in the history of Roger Deakins being denied Oscars which is the he was nominated twice that same is, that same year yeah, he should have won it twice for this film as I think yeah, I've said yeah, before yeah. like this film the cinematography in this film is so fucking good um, this is the if you're if you're studying Roger Deakins you're like why what's the big deal about Roger Deakins watch this watch what he does with candlelight watch what he does with 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 darkness watch what he does with the sunrise and the sunsets and he um and what he's able to get 
out of this very very like monochromatic sort yeah. of 19th century like it's not you, know, you watch 50s westerns and everyone's wearing like bright green shirts and bright red trousers it's like that's not what people look like no, they were all wearing no, no, brown no, no. and black and gray and yeah, everything was splattered yeah. with mud and it was cold and everyone was miserable and it's um, like Deadwood yeah exactly <laughs> and um, yeah and it, and it feels like it's very much a cousin to Deadwood obviously it features Garrett Dillahunt who's one of my favourite uh, character actors he's and, great I love um, Garrett Dillahunt and um, uh, he he uh, he he has he's not my favorite line in in No Country for Old. Oh, that's aggravating, sheriff. <laughs> <laughs> Where he has uh, he plays Tommy Lee Jones as deputy to great effect. Um, and uh, oh shit, they were just here. <laughs> um, but uh, you've you've obviously got your Casey Affleck, uh, Brad Pitt's in this um, producer on it as well. Yeah, um, this film took a very long time to come Jeremy out. Renner it, yeah, Jeremy Renner is yeah. Jeremy Renner's in the movie as well. I remember this movie was supposed to come out in two thousand five, and then it was supposed to come out in two thousand six, and then it came out in two thousand seven. Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell is yeah. in this film. Uh, uh, Sam Shepard is in this film. Sam Shepard. Yeah, yeah. great. Sam so um, it is it is stacked, as the kids say. Um, and um, and Mary Louise Parker, from Mary Louise West, Parker, from yeah. the West Wing. Yeah, but um, Brad Pitt's excellent. Casey Affleck. I mean, the film kind of really belongs to him in some ways. Yeah. Um, and. Um, well, it's super. I mean, really interesting when you think about like the whole the obsession with celebrity and the ways in which um, famous people sometimes get killed for being famous. You know, you think about John Lennon, you think about other you know people who like in that vein, and um, you know, so there's definitely that going on in the film. But it's also just like a great kind of statement of like the Western can still do something mm. as a genre in the modern era um where it's really not that popular now no and there's going to be more i've got more to say on that in my top two um uh, in fact my top three kind of all go together is quite a nice set so i'll leave it there but um assassination of jesse james is great fucking great film um and it has a great music by uh, nick cave and warren ellis that's right and nick cave is also briefly he's he's briefly in the movie he Um, sings the jesse james song that's right what's your third my number three is pixar movie and it is ratatouille Wow, good, good goodness. That yeah. is uh, high on the list. But yes, that no, is also I, a good film. I mean, let's, let's be honest. I, I don't know. I, it was... I, it's I have, delightful. I do, it's a delightful film. I remember we were, I went to go see this with our dad in the cinema. And I think this was actually one of the last films I watched in the cinema with him. No, actually, it was this in No Country for Old Men. And um, I just... I remember, like, falling in love with it. Just the, the, the whole idea of it and the yeah. world of it and just i just think the, the animation is fantastic and every time i watch it i think it's it's a great story it's it, there's a great arc with all the characters in the film and then there's like you you know the whole idea of the this very simple thing about everyone can cook or anyone can cook and i think yeah. that's and you can replace cook with anything so like yeah, you can yeah. do what you like it's a wonderful message for a kid's films like if yes. you want to do something you can do it yeah exactly and i think Having worked in a restaurant or a few restauranty places, it is very accurate of, it, of, of how that sort of world is, you know, not as like aggravatingly like barbaric as it is in real life, but it's, you know, but it, it's very accurate to like how everyone is like, you know, people, you know, and there's at moments on people's hands where they've got cuts and bruises and plasters and everything like that. Yeah. Everyone's very, very stressed. Everyone's yeah. very, very short tempered. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very short tempered. There you go. A lot of short tempered uh, anger and everything like that. And, um, you know, Anthony Bourdain was also a big fan of it, and he also said it was like very. He he felt the movie was extremely accurate to how life is in a restaurant, and I think again, Pixar have great 
voice act vocal performances in this movie you know peter o'toole as uh the um, anton ego, anton ego yeah. is <laughs> what great a, what a fantastic uh swan song for him that was uh, well, it wasn't a swan song but one of his one, one of, of the last songs, things yeah. he did yeah Patton oswalt as the the main rat remy, remy. Yeah. and uh brian dennehy who plays his dad i think is also a very sort of underrated uh a performer in that film and jereen garofalo who's the uh in the, who's the one of the who's the female chef Oh, in is the that film. Her? Yeah, yeah, and, and now and you've got Ian Holm too. Rat! <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he's good. Um, uh, yeah, no, it's. I, I think it's tremendous. I mean, yeah. I think I'm not going to quibble with you putting this on your list because it's it's wonderful. I also think it's good that we have two different Pixar films yeah. because it shows the extent to which Pixar really dominated the noughts and with good reason they made a string of fantastic movies in yeah. that time and they did Cars 2 and fucked it up <laughs> yeah well everyone, every, everything has yeah. to, you know, everything has to end at some point but they really were just colossal throughout yeah. the noughts and, and then um, they kind of I mean they, in 2010 it just sort of ended with Toy Story 3 they, which we, level of greatness we talked about that last time yeah, yeah. so no I, I think that's a that's a worthy a worthy entry shall we do our top two yeah let's do our top two my second best film of the noughts is The Three Burials of Melchiada Sestrarada. Again, it's a very... That's a wonderful film. It's, yeah. it's such a good movie. It is. Um, I, again, another film that I wanted to see so many times when you know when I was growing up in school and just seeing the trailer and I thought like, oh, I really want to watch that movie just because it just looks so damn good. And, great. and it is. And it is a great... And again, it's another Western. So it's like this pair of... Um, it pairs very well with Jesse James. Um, obviously, it's set in the, uh, in the modern era. Um, we've talked about it a horn here before, but the essential, have, yeah. um, essentially what happens is Tommy Lee Jones, uh, takes in a, um, undocumented Mexican vaquero, uh, to work on his ranch, uh, or to work with him being a rancher. And, um, they become really good friends. Uh, Melchiades is killed, mm. uh, by a overzealous and somewhat, um, um, racist broken yeah broken and kind of violent and primitive uh uh border patrol agent yeah, played yeah, by yeah. um barry pepper. barry pepper who's really good um great actor and tommy jones's character kidnaps barry pepper's character and takes him to mexico with the body of Melchiades, where they're going to then bury him um and the, again <laughs> again uh again 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 yeah um and it is it's uncomfortable. It's violent. It's incredibly sad. There's this insanely poignant bit where they find an old man played by Levon Helm of all people, yeah. who is a blind gives, man. Who takes the, he's blind. He takes them and he gives them a meal and then he asks them to shoot him because yeah. he's he's gonna otherwise he's gonna die out there on his own. Um, and um, they of course do not do that. No. But it is such a heartbreaking moment, um, and such an incredible performance from Levon Helm, who was not an actor; he was a musician, for God's sake. But uh, obviously, had been in a few films. Um, it yeah, I remember that wonderful, scene wonderful moment of, uh, of of poignancy in this. And there are so many great scenes south of the border. This is one of the great south of the border movies. Yeah, uh, one of the great movie bars, in my opinion, is the one where. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones finds himself and he gets kind of drunk and calls mm. back to Melissa calls Leo. Back to text, uh, yeah, Melissa Melissa Leo's Leo, character. Yeah. Um, also, Dwight Yoakam as the sheriff in the town. He's yeah, great he's, as well. he's very hapless in a, in a good sort of in yeah. a good way. Um, but it's ah oh, super sad, super um, uh, just like oh, you know, tell it. It says so much about you know where we are and this whole crisis along that border and yeah um, it does make does how make, it's yeah. politicized and how 
how many just like innocent lives are caught up in this thing and and also mm. just how an interesting space that border is and i mean we've talked yeah. about it before with films like lone star but how there is this cultural exchange that goes on on that border where the you know which americans i think are uncomfortable with in some ways they would imagine you know you want to just like there's there's the white christian side yeah. and then there's the you know the exotic side and it's like well of course there's stuff that goes there's there's a there's a gray zone there and no country for old men a film that i think is is kind of a cousin of three barrels and yeah, a yeah, film yeah. which i had to not put on my list which really broke my heart um you know plays with that idea as well so um but uh, three barrels does feel like a Cormac McCarthy story that Cormac McCarthy didn't write. Yeah, so uh, completely. I mean, yeah. it, it is. T- it, it feels it's straight in the universe of No Country for Old Men. Yeah, like, it, 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 it absolutely. Uh, and it's so interesting that these two films came out so close to each other. Yeah, um, the tone of it fits. I mean, the tone of this film is. I mean, I think Tommy Lee Jones as a director, he's very much found his very. He has found a tone with his films, with this, and also with the film he did in 2014 called The Homesman. Very sort yeah, of bleak Homesman and, is, yeah, uh, very bleak, yeah. you know, very bleak and, you know, not a film that romanticizes, you know, life out in the sort of prairie in the, in the desert and things like that. And I think he does very well with that. And also another film that plays around with narrative and time as well. There was uh, uh, Guillermo Arriaga who wrote Three Burials. He wrote uh, Inuritu's first three films, oh, 21 Grams and Amoris Peros and Babel. But uh, they had a bit of a falling out over uh, uh, how much I think Inuritu wanted his name on a lot of like things and say like, oh, this was me. And Ariaga was like, no, no it wasn't. wasn't. <laughs> that wasn't. <laughs> classic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Creative differences. As they say. Exactly. But, but I think the film also did win a bit at Cannes Film Festival. I think it might have won Best Screenplay. This and, is Be- Three and Burials. Three Burials and also Best Director for Tommy Lee Jones. He, he I, might, I of, might be wrong. Yeah, I might be wrong. I, we I, certainly, when we did our alternative Oscars episode, we gave this film a lot of Oscars yeah, that, yeah, it did not, yeah. that it did not win. But you know, it's a, it's an absolute favorite of mine. Of course, do I do I think you know? I left out a lot of movies on this yeah. list. I left out the lives of others. I left off Downfall. I left off Master and Commander, which is one of my favorite films. But I did not. I I needed to make room for this. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah um, of course, because it really. It, it, this is a film that's very close to my heart. Um, all right. Well, what's your number two? My number two is Hayao Miyazaki's movie Spirited Away. Oh, so you, it, nice to see, nice to yeah. see him in there because I've not seen Spirited Away, so I couldn't put it. on I've only list. seen this and Howl's Moving Castle, which are his, his 2000s uh, films. I just think that style of animation is wonderful. Mm. I just think it's so wonderfully characteristic and beautiful, and just the world building and also just it's a it's it's amazing i think just i, I would love this to, is the one where it's the one with the girl and the ghost with the white face and oh, it's, it's yeah. her trying to find her parents after yeah. they they find themselves in this town and it's very magical realism you know tone and everything like that and it's just it's just i love the imagination of this story and it's not you know it's you know it's it, you know i feel like it's not like pixar where it's a bit like you know, happy-go-lucky and it's warm and stuff like that. There are some like, you know, Hayao Miyazaki is not is not afraid to sort of be a little bit, you know, show, you know, not too much darkness like Del Toro does, but, you know, have a little bit, yeah. of, have a bit of like, this is a kid, you know, this may look like a kid's film, but it's for adults and but it's all for kids. That's the thing for, for, I found with yeah. watching uh, Totoro was how like, 
yeah, this is a super kids movie and it's wacky yeah, and goofy yeah. and cute and stuff, but there's like real stuff in there about yeah. illness and the stakes are high. But also, Howl's, Mo- Howl's Moving Castle also has is making I, it's making anti war statements as well, and no one is good mm. or bad in that film. There, everyone's kind of bit of been in a gray area, and you know, it's a, this is like a, a great, nice little Japanese fairy tale movie, and I just think it's wonderful. I love the aesthetic of it. I mean, I've, I'm familiar with I so do many love of the, the images yeah. um, I've seen from that. Yeah, no, it's. it's I don't know why I haven't watched it. I, I just no think excuse. the imagination of it is just like, how do you come up with all that stuff in the world? Like this train going across water and all this stuff and the, 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 the how this house works with like all the people that work in it. Is and this the one where like the family that. are turned into pigs? Yes, oh. that's the one. So they're like kidnapped? What's the deal? Well, they, they go to this town because their car breaks down and they're lost and then they go into this place and there's all this food laid out and the father and the mother start eating it. But the daughter's like, you know, we shouldn't be here. This is bad. And this young boy who like turns into like a water dragon kind of thing he says you guys should leave and stuff like that and then the the family the mother and the father turns pigs and then they get kicked kidnapped so it's her trying to find them and you know moving around all these like various different like people and creatures and stuff wonderful talking animals like and, and oh, stuff yeah. i'm so it, into it it's wonderful. Oh, I'd, I'd love to watch that i yeah. I, I must watch that i, must I really want to watch it again yeah uh, all right, so we're into the the, the last uh, the last, two, and we have not had a single overlap. Have you noticed? We no, have not. Not only has has have we had no, you know, like last time we had both of our top two match. There's not yeah. been a single film that has been in common across both of our lists. No. Uh, so my top film of the 2000s is Road to Perdition, which is directed by Sam Mendes and came out in 2002, two. Uh, starring Tom Hanks and lots of other people. Um, Paul Newman's last live action Paul film. Paul Newman's last film and a fan fucking tastic performance to boot. You got you got your Daniel Craig, you got Stanley Tucci. Yeah. Uh, you got Jude Law. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's Jennifer, a, Jennifer Jason Lee as well. Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah. Um, so the film uh, is about a hitman played by Tom Hanks who works for a gangster played by Paul Newman. Uh, Paul Newman's son, Daniel Craig, is no good. He fucks up. And yeah. then to help cover his tracks, he decides he's going to kill Tom Hanks and, and his, his family. family. Yeah. And he only gets half of the family. So Tom Hanks and his son have to go on the run, but also have to take down the the mob. The mob as as it is, um, you know, the, the part of the mob that belongs to Paul Newman and Daniel Craig. Yeah. Um, Make mentions to sounds like and people what? like that. Like, so how is this the best film of the 2000s? Well, I'll tell you. Firstly, it is... Conrad in, Hall. Conrad Hall is a big part of it. Yeah. Conrad Hall's cinematography. It was also his last film. Uh, in this film is exquisite um, well that's not everything I, I recommended this film to my in-laws recently and they watched it and they said it's kind of like an American fable and it is it is a yeah. folksy folksy is the wrong word but it, is, it feels like a folk tale of a kind of like a, an old America yes um, and very a story that could just as easily have been made in the 30s the 50s mm-hmm. the 70s you know whenever American cinema was feeling kind of uh, creatively um, sparky, you know, there yeah. was something going on, and and in some ways it feels out of time because I don't think 2002 is necessarily a great time for American cinema, certainly not, not for mainstream really, American from what cinema. I remember, no. And so it feels like a film that maybe is is a bit of an anachronism, and I think that adds to its allure. Um, it's it's a great piece of Americana. It's the way it uses the cars, the the. I mean, hey, okay. So another film that didn't quite make it onto my list was Oh Brother Where Art Thou, and yeah. it feels like it's got some. It, of course, it doesn't have anywhere near the like wackiness of Oh Brother Where yeah, Art Thou, but it's got yeah, some yeah. of that stuff in there about what is it about the nineteen twenties? What is it? It's it's this era of 
of um, John Steinbeck, of John Ford, of you know, great American storytellers, of 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 Henry Ford, you know, the great American creator of the Depression, of the New Deal, of well, you know, the 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 twenties and the thirties, I think, have this kind of hold because it's this last moment of a pre-modern America. Yeah, and I think that that um, that really that really lends itself to the telling of these kind of of these kind of stories and the 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 suspense is incredibly good the, the Jude Law is a brilliant villain um the tragedy of Paul Newman's character is completely I mean the the writing and the performances are all everything is exactly yeah. where it needs to be but there is the way the Thomas it Newman avoids, score as well yeah, the way great. it also avoids falling into these pitfalls of like all the father and the son cutesiness and all this other stuff like it there's stays, no Spielberg aspect no to it, exactly yeah. if Spielberg directed this film it would be shit um, but it is um, luckily directed by Mendes who um, you know let's be honest I'm not I'm not like a huge Mendes fan I don't think that much of American Beauty and I don't uh, we've talked about some of his you know the mixed results of his Bond efforts yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the, he does um, just marvellous stuff with this film um, and um, yeah having watched it again recently I can safely say that I, I do I do put this above it's been a very long time since I've seen all this these movie films, yeah so I um, really want to watch it again so yeah, Road to Perdition for me is yeah, you just can't it can't it can do no wrong, and I think it's a bit of a miracle of a film because it's like I'm just not sure how it got made at that time, and I'm not sure how they got all those good people involved. I'm not sure how the hell we got so lucky that Conrad Hall's last film is that good. Like it's all these yeah. things, all these planets was, align. You know, big success at the box office, but it's one of yeah. those films. I mean, looking at the sort of the way of the world it is now with cinema. And thinking about that film in 2002 and how you got all those actors into that film. And it was successful critically and it was successful box office wise. But thinking about it, looking at it now, 20 years later, that film wouldn't get made today. Well, it might. It, it could, but it wouldn't be. Yeah, exactly. But it wouldn't be as popular as it was. Right. It wouldn't, no have, it gonna, wouldn't have that audience. Yeah. yeah. You're not, I mean, if you put someone like who's been in a Marvel movie into the movie, you're just going to think, oh, it's just him in this, that gangster film. You're just not going to get that audience in there. It's like yeah. they're only going to go flock to him if, they're gonna, if he's playing, that actor is playing like Iron Man or Captain America or something like that. It's not the actor, it's the character. That's yeah. the thing. And so I think this is. In many ways, I think this is the last old Hollywood film. Yeah, I think so. Like, it is a film that reaches out from the past, from, like, the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and reminds us what American cinema used to be. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I kind of get a little misty-eyed talking about yeah. it. Yeah, but I think 2002 was that period where the way Hollywood changed, especially when episode two came out, and it was, like, this big CGI, like, monster fest. Yeah, I mean, you had these... The, the, the franchises were stomping around the landscape. At the yeah, point Because yeah. 2002, you've got... You've got a lot of the Rings films come, that comes out. You've got a Bond film that comes out. Really Spider-Man. shit Bond film that comes out. Spider-Man. And you've got the um, the Matrix sequel. Oh, they came out a year later. Oh, right. But even so, it's around this time. And the Star Wars stuff. So yeah, yeah. There's, there's so much, like all of this bullshit is happening. Anyway, what's your number one? Because we have to wrap so this up. So my number one guess. Lord of the Rings? No. Dark Knight? No. Uh, Sin City? No. Um, uh... Mission Impossible 2. <laughs> no! <laughs> what is it? No Country for Old Men. No, of course! You stupid idiot. Yes, of course. Uh, brilliant. Yeah, brilliant yeah. film. Um, I just fucking love this movie. Yeah, it's very good. I yeah. really do. I just kind think... Of stupid that I didn't put it on I went to sit... When I went to sit... I, I do associate this movie a lot with our dad because it was oh, yeah. the last film I went to go see with the cinema with him. And we both 
I he took me out of school to uh, for a day to go see this movie, and we had a blast. I remember just being on the edge of my seat the entire oh time watching that film on, in the cinema in Bournemouth and the biggest screen there was. And just like, I was watching the film and I was like, there's no music. And and yet I'm still on suspense. Like, I love that mm. aspect to it. And I just like listening like to Roger Deakins talking about it on his podcast and how that, that wasn't going to be a th- part of that film. And the cinematography is amazing. I just love the the weirdness of it it feels like a coen brothers film but it's like it's not it's like so different from a coen brothers movie in that sort of sense i think javier bardem is one of the best screen villains of all time oh 100 as, as anton chigora i yeah. think he is a fantastic character i love that character every time he's on screen i'm just like oh this scene's gonna be amazing and i like Tommy lee jones in the movie i think he's the closest that we have to a hero in the film no, and he's the moral core of he's this He's the film. moral, yeah. yeah. I think it's a movie about violence and I feel like how, you know, violence begets violence. And I did write like a post about the film for our blog and one of my friends read it and he said he really enjoyed reading it. And it's just like talking about how, you know, violent the world is and how it's just, you know, that scene at the end when he's with, um, uh, I forgot the actor's name, but he's been at a bunch of stuff. Like, great character actor. Like, you know, he was in Red Alert too. He was the general in that show. J.K. Simmons? No, not J.K. Simmons. Like, he's a big, big guy. Not J.K. Simmons. Oh, fuck. But no, but that scene where he's like, the when he's talking about like, can't stop what's coming. It's vanity. That that scene. I just love that, oh, yeah. that moment. I feel like... Oh, I, I, so, the but, writing in that film as well. It's but yeah, just but like, it's yeah. like, you know, Cormac McCarthy in the Coen Brothers movie, they fit really well. Yeah, I think do. better than Ridley Scott did with The Counselor, which came out in 2013. But, you know, that uh, I don't know, weird film. But no, I just think... Like, I remember watching the film and I thought like, Josh Brolin dies and then the film's still going on. Like, what what's going on? And I feel like as a when you get older when you watch those scenes again you realize oh they're you know they're subtly telling you what the movie's actually about like violence and legacy and things like that and loss and guilt and i think that the pointlessness of it all yeah and i think that last scene with tommy lee jones really cements that idea where he's talking about these dreams that he had you know about you know the first dream where he doesn't remember anything i lost something and then that scene about you know his dad and carrying the fire and all that other stuff and talking about like you know meeting him again and death and stuff i think that is that's properly moving. Yeah, right? it's very, very moving. Um, there's a line, of course, at the end of Fargo, you know, all for a little bit of money. You mm. know, and that's, but feels like that idea is taken to an extreme in this. No, it's, uh, it, it is, you're right to put it at number one. And, you know, and it, if I was making my list again, it would be very hard not to include it. I mean, this is one of those ones where I just, I think maybe I took it for granted it would be on your list, but I'm so glad it is there. I'm so glad it's your number one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it is a, it's an incredibly special movie. But on like um, a technical level, the cinematography, but also the sound as well. Like the sound oh, man. is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, everything about it. Everything like from the yeah. from that brake light that's on, uh, you know, in the night to the dog chasing him in the dawn to the also that the sun <laughs> yeah the the sun drenched yeah. kind of scenes and then the you know it's it's deacons it's coen brothers it's cormac mccarthy it's all these performances like again it's one of these like miraculous movies so yeah very good but we should wrap this up so yeah, we should let's read the list quickly um uh so my number 10 was triplets of belleville yours was brick my number nine was russian arc pan's labyrinth number eight in bruges elephant Number seven, Happy Go Lucky, The Station Agent. Number six, Finding Nemo, City of God. Number five, In the Mood for Love, Mulholland Drive. Number four, Sexy Beast, Memento. 
Number three, Jess, uh, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, to give it its full title. Ratatouille. Number two, three burials of Melchiades Estorada. Spirited away. And number one, Road to Perdition. No Country for Old Men. It's funny with the titles, you can kind of put them all together. It's like, in the mood for love on Mulholland Drive. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the, that is a fantastic list of movies. That's 20 <laughs> brilliant films. Go yeah, and watch yeah, them. Yeah. You need to get a fucking train yeah, in, in yeah. like 10 minutes. So let's get out of here. Yeah, Follow I, us on Twitter <laughs> and Instagram. Blah, yeah, blah, blah. Yeah, get yeah, on the yeah. website. You know where to find us. Lose the link tree thing. Like, that's a, bye. Yeah. Bye.